God, as we look at your word, may you bless it, may you move in our hearts. We know we're going to hold on to the promise that it never returns void and that you are going to do something amazing in and through your word this morning. Amen. Amen. So, even though last week Mike preached about how a new year is nothing more than a second or a minute, which is true, I'm not going to argue with my friend Mike, for us, it does feel like a new beginning, right? I mean, how much we've looked forward to being, as one of the memes I saw said, have 2020, true 2020 hindsight, right? Being with that behind us, another great meme I was going to show it was, does it bother anybody else that the year we're in is 2021, as in 2020, W-O-N-1? But you know what? It didn't win. God won. And God had a plan, as Mike mentioned just a second ago, since before we were created in the garden, for us to be reconciled and brought to him. And that plan was through a baby, and that baby's name was Jesus. So I thought one of the things, uh, if you know me, you know I almost always preach um, during Christmas from Luke chapter 2, which is the shepherds and the angels, because I love that story. And I think everybody should hear it. But because of that, I don't always give the Matthew version much play. So I thought this Sunday, let's keep Christmas going because we should. And so we're going to celebrate and kind of look at the birth of Jesus from the Gospel of Matthew. And it's going to start, it starts in Matthew chapter 2 if you want to join in. But of course, it'll be up on the screens. And so this is how it starts. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. So we're going to do a little background because that's how this passage starts, right? Why did these Magi come? What's the deal with the star? Why are Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem? Did this happen right away or did it happen down the line? Heck, When was Jesus born? Do we even know? So let's start. Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. This is probably a year or two after the story we read in Luke. Mary and Joseph have now found a home in Bethlehem. They aren't in the stable, or and Jesus isn't laying in a manger unless they couldn't afford a crib at that point, and Joseph hadn't made him one yet. but, But he's probably not in the manger anymore. And they found this home, which, which I've always thought was strange, because do, do y'all remember where Joseph and Mary are actually from? They're not from Bethlehem. They went to Bethlehem for a census, right? But now they've stayed for a couple of years in this town. And I always wonder, why? Why not go home? Maybe, maybe it's because they didn't want to travel in those days with a baby. That makes sense, right? Maybe... Joseph wasn't doing too well in Nazareth and decided, hey, I can open up my carpentry shop here. Maybe he's found a little success. Maybe they're just happy. But no matter what, it all had to do with God's plan, right? Whether Joseph and Mary had any idea of it at the time, it had to do with God's plan. Because, you know, they didn't have any reason to believe that people were going to come from the far east to come and visit them at their home in Bethlehem. 
They were just probably living an ordinary, regular day. Mary changing diapers if they had diapers. Joseph going to work and coming back. But God had a different plan. Then there's this other weird character, this Herod listed here is more than almost without a doubt likely known as Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the king of the Jews, the king of the, um, the area of Judea in uh, the Roman world um, from about 31 to about 4 BC. Um, he was referred as Herod the Great because he built everything. If you know, if you remember, he's the one who started, they actually didn't finish it for 30 plus more years, the temple of rebuilding the temple to the glory it was during Solomon's time. He built aqueducts, he built cities, he did all these amazing things. So historically speaking, he was referred to as Herod, as Herod the Great. But you know what? It takes money to build things, doesn't it? And so you know what he was thought of by his people of the time? They didn't like him very much because he taxed them ridiculously hard. He was incredibly paranoid and always afraid that somebody was going to take his kingdom away from him. So much so that he actually killed many of his sons and his wives and his friends just out of fear. Now Herod was kind of a Jew. And that's kind of hard for us to understand. Um, Herod came out of what was later, what was before known as Edom. In those times, it was called, I can't say it very well, but it's Eudemian Desert. All right? Now, this desert is, um, like I said, is in Edom, which would be, um, sorry, east of Jerusalem. And it's where Esau had gone and moved at the time of Jacob and Esau. So Herod and his family were direct descendants, probably, of Esau, which is interesting, right? Because we don't hear much about Esau after he kind of goes out in the Bible. So, but he was a descendant of Abraham. Therefore, the, the covenant that God made went through that just as, in a little different way, but he was there. And so he was a Jew as a son of Abraham, but not really. He was given the title king of the Jews by the Roman Senate, which is a pretty big deal for him. And so when these guys show up here in a little bit and say, hey, we want to see the one born king of the Jews, and he's already a little paranoid, a little bit scared, a little bit freaky, it's no surprise when he jumps at him and acts so crazy and decides eventually to kill a bunch of babies. He was that messed up. But then we have these other guys the Magi, wise men, astrologers, astronomers. Most of us who grew up in the old King James Version remember them as the three kings of the Orient are, right? Ironically, probably there were more than three. There definitely weren't kings, and they really weren't from the Orient. So that song, sorry, we, we probably shouldn't celebrate that song. That's okay. They were probably astrologers, for sure wise men, very rich, very wealthy, very powerful. They were most likely from Persia or Babylon. Um, they most likely traveled for many months, maybe as much as two years to get from their homeland to Bethlehem when they saw the star. Isn't that crazy? We don't think about it. We kind of just think, oh, boom, 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 it all happens, right? But they traveled for, for, I mean, for sure months, maybe years 
to be there. We do know they didn't come alone. There's no way you traveled from the middle of, uh, from Babylon all the way to Israel without an entourage. So they probably had this giant parade. They had servants. I'm sure they had guards and security, and they had people around them protecting them, going with them. So, so it was probably definitely more than three that went. We know that the reason why they say there's three is because there were three gifts, and that's probably where that came from. So, but anyway, they came this long way. And then there's this other character in this, in this story, the star, right? We don't think about the star that much as a character, but the star is pretty important, right? So at those times, it was believed that when a new star appeared in the sky, that someone of noble birth, a new king, was born. And so they were excited, and they went to see this king. Now, some believe the star to be the star that we just saw a couple of weeks ago when Jupiter and Saturn were in alignment, because that happened roughly 7 BC, they think which is pretty close to this time frame. Some believe that it was a comet some other nat- or some other natural occurring event, maybe just a, a star that exploded. And you know what? It may have been. But let me tell you, nobody on earth actually knows. But one thing is for sure, it was supernatural. And that it lasted for two years, as far as we know, and that's it. And then later on, as we read, you'll learn that it went ahead of them, like it moved. And that at some point, it went from Jerusalem to over Bethlehem and stopped over a house or over an area, which we'll learn in verse 9. That's pretty crazy, right? So whether it was the the Jupiter-Saturn star, probably not, because that lasted, if you lived where I did, where I do, zero seconds because it was cloud-covered. But even if you watch the whole thing, it still only lasted a matter of minutes. So it was probably something bigger, something better, something amazing. So these magi, why the heck did they come? Right? Yeah, a star might have meant something great, but this is kind of cool. Some scholars believe that the magi were following a prophecy by the prophet Balaam, which he made in Numbers 24, 17. I want to read it to you, okay? I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the people of Sheth. Now, if you remember, Balaam was a prophet not of Jewish birth, most likely from Mesopotamia, probably the same area as Babylon and Persia, who was called by the king, who was actually hired by the king of Moab to curse Israel. But Balaam wouldn't curse them because God kept telling him not to. When I was a kid, I remembered Balaam as the guy the donkey talked to. That might help you. But I encourage you, go back and look at Numbers 22, 23, and 24 and kind of see the story there of this prophet from far away who was hired with a particular job, and he said, I can't do it because God has told me not to. Um, If you want to know the context time-wise of that, that was right as the people of Israel were coming into the promised land during the Exodus. Kind of crazy. 
So we're talking centuries, centuries before, maybe even as many as a thousand years. Isn't that crazy? So I don't know if that's the story that they got and they were holding on to this little bitty bit of a prophecy, but maybe. But, but some people believe that it might have been from Daniel during the exile and that that's where they got the idea that something, this king of the Jews would be born. Um, I encourage you to look at Daniel chapter 9. I'm just going to read two verses. Um, but if you read around it, you'll see a lot of context uh, that talks a lot more about end times and stuff like this. But it could fit this too. Listen, know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, which we know means Messiah, Christ, right? The ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue till the end, and desolations have been decreed. Then it goes into a lot more detailed prophecy, probably more about the end times, but but it fits right here, doesn't it? Isn't that crazy? This was made in Babylon, this prophecy. And there's, there's a good chance that that was passed on through the remnant and may have even gotten out to the wise men because, you know, ultimately, that's what Daniel was, right? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were referred to as wise men. So there's a chance that they might have been magi before magi were a thing. The truth is, it's possible that either one, both, or neither had any effect on these people and brought them there. But it sure is interesting, isn't it? How that all links together. Back to the Magi. Regardless of how or why these guys came, they came from the east to Jerusalem following a star. They, who were Gentiles, and that's important to remember, they were Gentiles. That means they weren't of Jewish descent. They weren't Jews in any way, shape, or form. They were the other nations, the unchosen ones. They were aware of the true king of the Jews had been born. And they came with one intent, to worship him. But then you look at the other hand. The religious leaders, the political leaders, the Jewish people, none of them had a clue. You kind of wonder when it comes to the star, could they see it? And they just missed it? Or maybe it started out closer to Babylon and literally led them all the way. We don't know. But as far as we know, they never noticed the star. They never saw it. And you know what's funny? The people of Israel were supposed to be looking for the Messiah. They were supposed to be paying attention to the signs. They were supposed to be ready. Because, you know, these spiritual and political leaders, they knew the scriptures better than anyone. They had the whole Old Testament memorized. And you know, based on what they say in a few minutes, that they knew the Savior had to come from Bethlehem. Let's go on. So in Matthew 2, 3 through 6, we see this. When King Herod heard this, this being, I want to come worship the king of the Jews, 
he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the peoples, all the peoples, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means less, least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So now we've got another character, this town Bethlehem. Now we learn that King Herod was disturbed. In the Greek, this word means a lot more than just uneasy. It means deeply troubled. It means like anger to the point of change and to do something. Mix that with his jealousy and his paranoia, and you know it's not going to be a good solution. The chief priests knew exactly where the Messiah was to be born. It doesn't even seem that they take a second to research or study the scripture. They just throw it right out there. I, I, I always imagine they're probably even a little smug. Of course he will be born in Bethlehem. In fact, I'm going to quote you a scripture just to prove it. But you know what? They were right. Micah 5.2, Micah 5.4, 2 Samuel 5.2, all kind of com- combined together to be the scripture they quoted. And they all point to Bethlehem as the birthplace of the Messiah. Interesting, Matthew, he really paraphrases and combines those scriptures rather than quoting them directly. And if you watch Matthew, a lot of times that's his deal. He more paraphrases scripture than quotes it word for word. So when you go back and you look at these verses, you'll, you'll find them not exactly the same. But we continue. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and search carefully for this child. As soon as you find him, report him to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now, I think a better name for Herod is Herod the deceiver, not Herod the great. And these two verses seem to sum up Herod perfectly. Secret meetings, backroom schemes, lies, using religion for power. He had absolutely no interest to worship the king of the Jews. He wanted to destroy him. He believed enough to trust that the prophecies about the birth of Messiah, that he would be born in Bethlehem, that there was one coming. But he was so arrogant, so cocky, he, think he, could, he thought he could change God's plan. And that's why he sent out later on to try to kill those babies. He convinced the Magi to find a baby so he could worship him too. Why wouldn't the Magi believe him? After all, they came across the world to worship the new king of the Jews. They, they figured all true believers, the Jews, they'd do the same thing. They'd want to join him to worship him. But man, Herod was a liar. But those magi, they weren't liars. They came to truly worship the one born king of the Jews. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was born. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Much like the shepherds in the field, when they came back to the manger and they found everything just like the angel had promised them, they were overjoyed. 
And they went out worshiping, excited, happy, and filled with life. These magi were overjoyed that they had found the star that had led them to Jesus, and they got to see this baby. They showered him with gifts and bowed and worshiped him, which is a stark contrast to the humble, poor shepherds from Luke's gospel. But the worship and the adoration was true and the same. Could you imagine, like, what the neighbors must have been thinking? Like, the, what the heck is going on here? Aren't, aren't we in Bethlehem? Isn't it the house of Joseph, the new carpenter, the new guy? Does he even have a job? What's the deal with this entourage? What's going on? You know, I look back at that story and I go, well, Herod, you're kind of a ding-dong, right? I mean, just follow the entourage. Where did the rich people go? Couldn't you show up at Bethlehem and go, hey, where did all the rich people go and find the house? But, but for whatever reason, Herod thought, maybe, maybe I'm so good and so cocky and so powerful and so wonderful that these magi are going to do what I say and I'm going to change the will of God. But for whatever reason, he didn't do it and they didn't serve the baby up to him. I think maybe God had a bigger plan. And these magi had a purpose for being there. They brought gifts. Gifts for king, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, these would be the normal gifts you would bring to someone of importance, especially if you were coming from Babylon. Gold, pretty simple. Gold was gold like it is now, back then, except for maybe even a little more rare. Frankincense was an expensive form of incense that only the true wealthy could afford. And it would make the place smell wonderful, amazing, and rich. And myrrh, kind of a spice, kind of an incense, kind of a combination, it was used for all sorts of things. All of them were special. But one interesting one, and many of you probably heard this before, is it was used as one of the anointing parts at burial. It was put on the bodies of dead people to honor them. This has led many to believe that was a foreshadowing of Jesus' death. To be honest, I don't really know, and I don't think anybody else does. They just like to sound smart and say things, but could be. What I do know is these were gifts fit for a king. They also had great value and were easily used for trading, so it was common for the wealthy to travel with them to buy and sell things. Interesting and the way only God can do, they would have come in handy for Joseph and Mary when they were traveling to Egypt after Joseph was told to leave. God's plan, so intricate, so detailed, so perfect. But the most important part of this whole story is that these magi from the east came to worship Jesus. This is a huge deal. It's more of the imagery most people would have had for the birth of the Messiah, the anointed one, the king. A king's birth. Not like those shepherds who saw him in a manger. We would have expected a giant entourage of the richest, the wealthiest, and the smartest come bearing gifts for the king. But the amazing thing is that God had both in mind. It shows us the supernatural way God was going to show the world his son. It also, because they are Gentiles, show that Jesus came not just for the Jews, 
but for all people, rich, poor, Jew, Gentile, all people. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Messiah that was prophesied in the garden. He was promised through Abraham. Balaam made a prophecy about him all those years ago. Daniel shared prophecy. And almost every other prophet shared another prophecy about this Savior. There was something special about this baby. He is the one born king of the Jews. He is the root of Jesse that will reign forevermore. Don't you think if Mary pondered all those things in her heart after Luke chapter 2, when the shepherds came, she was pretty taken back by what was going on here? I bet she enjoyed it. I bet she held on to that moment. But this, was, this great moment wasn't going to last very long. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, Magi, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and in its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. So the Magi, again more in tune with God than the leaders of the Jews, listened to God and went another way. Joseph had another dream and took his family to Egypt which made another messianic prophecy come true. If you want to check that one out, it's in Hosea 11.1. Herod was tricked, and he tried again to change the plans of God. He ordered the murder of all the boys in and around Bethlehem, but God protected his anointed one, his son. So God's plan kept moving forward. His plan to save the world through a baby born a king in Bethlehem, a baby born to save the world, Emmanuel. God with us. You know, I pray as we move forward into 2021, we can trust the plan of God. We may not know all the details, but we do know that God is sovereign. We know that Jesus is the King. We know that Jesus is our Savior. We know that He is with us. You see, we are at the beginning of Matthew's story, but let's jump to the end, and you'll see and be reminded that Jesus is with us always. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we hear these familiar words. Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The message of Matthew, the message the Magi received, the message for each of us every day has not changed. Go. The Messiah is with us. God's plan is clear. Go and make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them. Because Jesus is with you. Go 
whether it's next door or to a far land, whether it's by writing a card or an email or making a phone call, or maybe go in person and visit someone and tell them about Jesus. Go, worship the King. Tell others why you're doing it and why they should. Not just the people that look like you, not just the people that live with you, but all people. Go, tell. That's our calling. Could you imagine if the Magi would have ignored the star? Could you imagine if the shepherds would have stayed in their field? Could you imagine if the disciples, after Jesus died, would have just gone back home, never to be heard from again? Could you imagine if the person who led you to Jesus, who told you about his love, had never said a word? Where would you be? We have a job, y'all. Go. However that looks. And for each one of us, it's different. But go. So my challenge for you today, what I believe is God's challenge for us every day, is go. And make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey all that he commanded. And guess what? He will be with us. He'll give us the strength wherever we go, now and forever. So go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. Thank you that he was born humbly and a king. Thank you for what he did for us on the cross when he chose to give his life for each of us. God, may we boldly follow him. May we boldly proclaim him as our Lord and Savior. And may we boldly go out and make disciples. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your power. Fill us with your grace and your mercy. In your son's most holy and precious name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Happy New Year. Have a great week.